Consoled by these visions, Smiley arrived at the King's Road, where he paused on the pavement as if waiting to cross. To either side, festive boutiques. Before him, his own Bywater Street, a cul-de-sac exactly 117 of his own paces long. Shall we kick off with a, uh, with a countdown? <laughs> well, we'll know whether we've got the same sort of stride, okay. won't we? If you've got a smiley stride. Go on then, Go, you start. Curiously specific book club. He's got a longer stride than me. Well, I'm at 17 here. 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. Yeah, but he's got a big old stride then, hasn't he? So, welcome to the Curiously Specific Book Club. Where are we, Lloyd? Join us on um, London SW3, Chelsea. We are walking down a rather pretty little street. Smart, with lots of different coloured houses. Lots of different coloured houses. Cute, pink, purple, yellow, green. Most of the doors have the numbers on the door. One of them does not have the number on the door. Number nine. Number nine, Bywater Street. And rather pleasingly, given that the firm features quite a lot in this book, the alarm was by Bannums. (laughs) We are here to talk about the holy scripture of spy novels. Aren't we? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Tinker Taylor, Soldier Spy. Tinker Taylor, Soldier Spy by you're John le Carey. You're very excited by this one, aren't you? I am excited because it's kind of, um, I don't know, for anyone who grew up in the 70s, um, first of all, I think it was just about every dad's favourite book, wasn't it? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Although, um, I don't know. It was always my, my dad, dad was always, as usual, being a bit dodgy, was, <laughs> was more into the magus. Okay. Oh, wow, OK. Now... He doesn't say anywhere in Tinker Taylor that what number house George lives at. So how did you know it was number nine? I think in Call of the Dead, which is the first Smiley novel, I think he says he lives at number nine. I think that's canon. That's Le Carre canon that he lives at number nine. Yeah, yeah. So John Le Carre, my dad had the the classic hardback edition with the Russian dolls on the cover. Yeah, good, good. And then obviously there was the BBC adaptation in 1979 with Alec Guinness as Oh, I brought my, uh, my Alec Guinness glasses for later. <laughs> You're going to enjoy those. I am going to enjoy those. George darling man. So, what do you want to say about this book? Uh, published 1974? Yes. Published 1974. It was a comeback for the carry. He'd written a book that was published in 1971 called A Naive and Sentimental Lover, which was his romance book, and it was a complete car crash, critically and commercially. So he'd written three novels before then, I think. Call of the Dead, Spy Came In From The Cold, and A Small Town in Germany. Yep. And they were all spy novels. Then he wrote Naive and Sentimental Lover. The critics hated it. Yes. And this was his comeback. Was this not that he was involved in quite a complicated affair, ménage à trois, with his best friend's wife. I didn't know that. Yes. Not surprisingly, his book about romance was a car crash. That's quite interesting, because none, none of the obituaries I read mentioned any of that. Ah, it's all, had a good bit of... Well, obviously, I was interested in that bit. They were quite reverential. <laughs> well, I realised what we've done, we've ploughed straight in without actually explaining what the hell we're doing, which is what we always do on this. Should we explain why we're here? 
Yeah, come on then. Go on. So this is the Curiously Specific Book Club. Yeah. Where we are. What are we, Tim? We're curiously specific about dates and locations. We're curiously always. specific about dates and locations, and we're curiously bad at doing the introduction. Usual health warnings apply. There will be a lot of plot spoilers in this podcast. Quick synopsis. Go of the do story. try, <laughs> please do. So, well, well, we'll come on to dating in a minute. But at the start of the book, George Smiley has basically been fired from the circus, which is the carrier's name for MI6. Yes. Uh, for reasons which we'll come to. Oh, you're um, gonna, we're going to go to the circus, we? are going to go to the circus. Headquarters. I've got some good stuff on the circus, man. OK, good. Yes, yeah, so George Mine's been fired, and uh, a spy appears called Ricky Tarr, appears from nowhere, from the east, basically, who's got story of a, a weird occurrence with a Russian delegation in Hong Kong, which Smiley realises is indication of somebody leaking something from, from London, because he's always suspected there might be a mole at the top of the circus. And the book is essentially Smiley figuring out who the mole is and at the same time kind of going over what's happened over the period of his two years. This book is based in 1973. Oh, you're just putting it out there, are you? Well, I'm going to say that. <laughs> and to set the tone, I thought it might be useful, as we did with the Ipswich saying, what is happening in 1973? OK, yeah, no, I had some stuff on this. Just to say that around the atmosphere of the book. Yeah. So one of the things... One of the things that's very obviously kicking off yeah. in 1973, IRA. Yep. Does he mention this doesn't in the book it. at all? There's bombs going off in London all over the place. It doesn't mention the IRA at all. I was going to say, wouldn't the MI6 be having a bit of a Well, no, because it would have been MI5, wouldn't it? So MI5 so. are called the competition all the way through the book. They hate MI5. OK. They keep calling them the competition. But as a backdrop, you feel it ought to have been mentioned. It's the Cod War. Big year for that. Never mentions the Cod War. Mm. Smiley would be involved in the Is Cod War, wouldn't he? Okay. Uh, obviously, we we became part of the EU on the first of January, nineteen seventy-three. Doesn't the mention that. EEC. Yeah. Doesn't mention that. No. And then, in terms of popular culture, I think it's important to mention yeah. uh, that the Dark Side of the Moon came out in nineteen seventy-three. <laughs> Very good. Very good. <laughs> No, no, that's Wish You Were Here. You're doing Shine On Your Crazy Diamond. Oh, sorry. Yeah, that's the next album. Oh. All the prog rockers are going to be... Andy will be climbing on There's that. Edward Heath is Prime Minister. Edward Heath was Prime Minister because the reactionaries, as Irina says, the reactionaries got back into power. That's one of the reasons you know it's the 70s. And crucially, you know how we said with the Ipcrest file that... You know, Bond, the movie, was about to hit when Ipcrest File came yeah, out. Yeah. Well, it's uh, Live and Let Die, isn't it? It is. So Roger Moore the first Roger is Moore. about to hit yeah. as the Bond. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's an interesting juxtaposition, isn't well, it? Well, apart, smiley, from, apart smiley from, and it's the end of 1973. The book is set at Christmas 1973. Yeah, so he would have gone to see Live and Let Die, wouldn't he, Smiley? <laughs> well, it's a Christmas treat, don't you think? <laughs> no, I really don't. Given that he spends most of his time walking to a second-hand He would have shop. gone in to watch Live and Let Die and said, well, this is absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> it's nothing like this at all. <laughs> this would never happen like this. Is that your Alec Guinness? It is my, yes. These are not the droids you're looking for. <laughs> this, this is not the mold. This model of what a spy would be like. OK, that's all good stuff. Dark Side of the Moon. Oh, no, not that one. (laughs) 
My literary cover name of John le Carré and my fictional spy, Mr. George Smiley, were born on the same day in 1958, on the same first page of the same first novel, in a small back room on the third floor of Leckenfield House in Curzon Street in London's West End. Okay, so the Hotel Islay in Sussex Gardens was a very quiet place considering its position and perfectly suited to his needs. It lay a hundred yards south of Paddington Station, one of a terrace of elderly mansions cut off from the main avenue by a line of plane trees and a parking patch. So we're standing outside the Castleton Hotel on Sussex Gardens, which is on a... No loitering, private property, saying no loitering. Uh, security no cameras. Yeah, yeah. There's a whole line of plane trees. Yes. Um, and Paddington Station is literally just around the corner. Now there's another bit when he talks about him being in his room. Yeah. Room 8 was on the top floor. Its window looked onto the parapet. Beyond the parapet lay a side street with a shady bookshop and a travel agency called The Wide World. OK, so we, I, we think that street is... There's the Sussex Arms. London Street. London Street. Should we walk down there see if there's a yeah. travel agent? Have you found something? That's the top room, looking out onto London Street. So we've got basically in the castle there's a top room. That's Smiley's room. Smiley's room where he basically he plots the whole well, he's he has really... to sort of disappear. He has to look like he's not doing any homework, doesn't he? So he has to find a secret place where he can have all the papers delivered that he needs without suspicion and work yeah. on them without being interfered with. And so this is his place, this hotel. And so we're standing on London Street. I don't th- I can't see a travel agent. There are some shops. No, but there's plenty of shops and you can imagine that there might have been a travel agent here. Yeah, I mean obviously yeah. there's hardly any travel agents left, right? That's true. That's so true. Well, why would there be one now? Yeah. So it's all just food and wine and the cafes. Castle, Castles and Hotel. But that looks pretty budget. Pretty good, doesn't it? And also it does look like the kind of place with all those signs about security can no don't sit here, please keep off our land. But if you hire a room here, it's because you've got one a bit of privacy. Yeah, yeah, for the, all sorts of bad reasons. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and along there... And there's Painter Station, the Painter literally Station is immediately there. And then the whole of that terrace is hotels, is cheap yeah. hotels. Yeah, yeah, but it, it's just that it's... Sussex Gardens is just is cheap hotel land, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a bit disappointed that it's not the next one along because that was called the Seymour Hotel. Ah. So, I, so I thought, <laughs> well, the Seymour Hotel, you see what I mean? I know what you did there. Seymour Spies. I'm liking your work. I'm liking your work. <laughs> So I guess again, are we saying... We're saying he's been curiously specific. He's been curiously specific. He's a very, very satisfying. It's very satisfying, isn't it? <laughs> about bloody time we had a book like this. <laughs> I've got a story to tell you. It's all about spies. And if it's true, you boys are going to need a whole new organisation. We have a mole, Jim. London. Very near the top. It was almost four o'clock on the afternoon of the same day. Safe houses I have known, thought Gwydham, looking around the gloomy flat. This two-room scalp haunter's shakedown in Lexon Gardens, smelling of dust and drains, with a three-foot fire extinguisher in the pitch-dark hall. So we're in Lexon Gardens now, which is a kind of long, pretty long road. So they come here to, to interrogate Toby Esterhays. And there's not, a, there's not many clues as to exactly which of the houses it is. But when they finished interrogating him, 
there's rather a peculiar little scene that we thought we would reenact. Yes, this is a good idea. Because I was trying to follow you on the bike and finding it quite hard. Yeah. We were on our bikes and you got lost there, didn't you? <laughs> um, basically, George thinks someone's following him. Yes. Right? right, in the stairwell, Smiley likes to touch his arm. Peter, I want you to watch my back. Will you do that for me? Yes. Give me a couple of minutes, then pick me up on the corner of Marlowe's Road, heading north. Stick to the west pavement. Okay, so, so this is Marlowe's Road here. So Lexham Gardens runs east to west. Yes. Marlowe's Road runs south to north. Good. He completed one round of the gardens, then entered a pretty muse well south of the pickup point. Reaching Marlowe's Road, he crossed to the western pavement. He crossed to the western pavement. Which, oh, okay, yeah, so he's on that side. The safe house is on that side. Yeah. Good spot, mate. Yes. Bought an evening paper and began walking at a leisurely rate past villas set in deep gardens. This is good. I feel like this is exciting. This is like... This is like like spying. Field work. Yeah. Short of Abingdon Villas, I'll cross over, he said. Look for a solo, but look. There's Abingdon Villas there. Ah, so we're going to go a loop round. So straight down here, loop round. I think the muse is in here, yeah, behind and then, here. And then straight back come up, up here. And come up Marlowe's Road. To Abingdon Villas. And then scuttled across, scuttled between the angry traffic, disappear at once through the doors of an off-licence. So if we're lucky, there's an off-licence oh. up near Abingdon Villas. Oh. What would you pay for that to be true? Oh, please. <laughs> <laughs> okay, crossing Marlowe's Road okay. now. Back into the Gardens. Pennant Muse. Pennant Muse. That's got to be it, hasn't it? Here we go. Oh, it's going to be a cobbled, bit cobbled street. on the cobblestones. Uh, this is good. Well, that Terrific. feels exactly right. That is bang on, isn't it? Yeah. The carré definitely walked down there. Yeah, yeah. As Gwilym watched, Smiley pulled up abruptly as if he just remembered something, stepped perilously into the road, scuttled between the angry traffic to disappear at once through the doors of an off-licence. Yes, that'll do. That'll do. As he did so, Gwilym saw or thought he saw a tall, crooked figure in a dark coat step out after him, but at the moment a bus drew up. So, so I like, we need I to know, like this, this. Is your, this is a project for you, you should have done this research, and I'm disappointed that you didn't, is <laughs> uh, what t- bus goes down Marlowe's Road in 1973? Didn't even occur to me to hey? that. I can't believe it. I know. You're, you're losing. Not, you're off your game. I'm glad I'm being told off, though. <laughs> um, but that's quite good, isn't it? So we've identified which side of Lexham Gardens it was and yeah. which muse they go down. Very good. That's the first time, apart from Bywater Street, yeah. where I got a real sense that the carry walked down here. Yes. Which I always like when I think the author going around. That he's little, doing a bit of research. Going, yes, this will do. This yeah. is a good kind of place to walk around. I, I'm just going to tell you a little bit about... Because safe houses is a bit of a thing, right? Yeah. Because we're only doing the London bit, there are other bits of this book. And, and one of the other safe houses is up the A12. They go into Suffolk. They do. That's where they, they hide Ricky Tarr, isn't it? Yes, they do. Well, it says on the signpost were names yeah. like Little Hawksley, yeah, yeah. Wormingford and Bures Green. Yeah, I looked all those up. Then the signpost stopped and Gillam had a feeling of being nowhere at all. Yeah. I think you know where he was. Well, it goes, they reached what seemed to be a hamlet, but there were no lights, no people, no moon. As they got out, the cold hit them and Gillam smelt a cricket field and a wood smoke and Christmas all at once. A church tower rose ahead of them, a white fence ran to one side and up on the slope stood what he took to be the rectory, a low rambling house part thatched. He could make out the fringe of a gable against the sky. Right, so okay. that's quite detailed, isn't it, yeah, actually? Yeah. And the other thing is it's owned by a, uh, a lady called 
Elsa Brimley, yeah. was waiting in the front porch of them, a grey-haired lady of 60 with a firm, intelligent face. She was old circus, Smiley okay. said. One of Lord Landry's coding ladies from the war, now in retirement. Okay. Okay, lots of clues, don't you feel? Yeah, yeah. Right. Do you find it? Well, I've got a candidate. I found a website about a village at Great Henny. Right. It has got a cricket field, yeah. has got thatched buildings. And uh, this is somebody who, in early 2000, my brother-in-law, Charles Halton, a farmer from Gloucestershire, came to view a small flock of Llanwenog sheep in Great Henny. And they bought a farm. Mm-hmm. Now, they bought this farm off a lady. Sparrows Farm, it was called. And then, here she is, little old lady, Daphne Machen Goodall. Oh, that's a good spy name. Sp- exactly. Great. This Sparrow, Sparrow's Farm had remained in the same family for about 300 years until the death of the redoubtable Daphne Machen Goodall at the age of 93 in 2008. Okay. Right. So, so she would have been... Retirement age. 53, mm. mid-50s in the... She was a descendant of the Cook family. Daphne was renowned in the neighbourhood for her strong character, her sharp tongue and her expertise in horsemanship. She wrote several books on horses, including A History of the British Native Pony. After the war, Daphne helped her sister, Vivian Boone, breed and train show jumpers, including Neptune, who won the Olympic horse trial in 1953. Daphne also bred Suffolk punch horses. There are many tales about her, including her going around the district in her horse and trap with a long whip, which she might use to emphasise her views, especially on people's horsemanship. Wow. She'd also bred Aberdeen Angus cattle and exported pedigree bulls to Argentina. She sounds like a type, doesn't she? She sounds like a type. And then I looked her up again. I got yeah. an actual biog from her publisher. And it says, now listen to this, she was educated privately in France and Germany. Okay. She spent most of her life with horses, apart from five years she spent in the army. She was fluent in German. Sounds quite good. Not bad, eh? Do you know about Millicent Bago? No, who's that then? Okay, so I was trying to find Connie's house. So he goes to visit Connie in Oxford. Yes. And there's quite a lot of specifics about her house. It's like, it's behind a wooden gate. It's uh, on a cul-de-sac. It's in North Oxford. And there's also a reference to some horrible bungalows that have been put up by Harrisons. Ah, good clue. So I speculate that Harrisons was a property developer. So I I asked my uh, my in-laws, my uh, Josie and Brian, who live in North Oxford, and they're a member of a book group. So for the past, past week... All the members of their book group have been scurrying around cul-de-sacs in North Oxford trying to find Connie's house uh, and haven't been able to identify a, a I think they went around to Mick Heron's place and said, <laughs> just, just, just to say hello. Just to hello, drop a beer off. <laughs> but what they told me, which I didn't know, is that Connie, who is who, who George goes to see because she's like the kind of, she's the memory of the circus, she remembers everything. Connie was actually supposedly based on this, this woman called Millicent Bago. Okay. Okay. I like this. I've We've got, got two uh, feisty ladies so now. I've got her her, her obituary. Women don't come out well in this book. Let me her, just say. Her, well, we both we both noticed, didn't we, that there is a quite. It's very of its time mm. in its depiction of women. Anyway, so Millicent Bago, who has died age ninety nine, this is two thousand six. Oh wow. Okay. Had the distinction of being one of the security service's first women officers and the first to reach senior rank. After retirement in nineteen sixty seven, she worked part time for MI five on research projects. Possibly her most notable part-time role concerned a scholarly investigation which attempted to unravel the background to the Zinoviev letter. Right, so she oh. goes way back. Although the details of Bago's career are unlikely to become public, 
uh, it is thought that she was the model for the admirably robust and outspoken Connie Sachs. She appointed MBE in 1949. And she was one of the people, saying here, if I read somewhere else, who um, suspected... You're going to say it? You're going to say it? Philby. Kim she Philby. She was one of the people who thought that Philby was a Roman. Ah... Uh. And of course, and of course in, the book, in the book, Bill Hayden, spoiler, figure. spoiler, yeah. Bill, Hayden Bill Hayden is very much like Kim Philby. It's a portrait of Kim Philby. Yeah. Very good. So, so, so we are finding some Bago. real people. Millicent yeah. Bagger. We're finding some real people real now people. as well as real places. Yeah. And we found an off-license. Yeah. Hey! Rock 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 There's a rotten apple, Jim. And we have to find it. What did you make of it, Jim? Control theory. I thought it was madness. Right, I'm going to read you right from the beginning. Yeah. Jim Prido arrived on a Friday in a rainstorm. The rain rolled like gunsmoke down the brown combs of the Quantocks, then raced across the empty cricket fields into the sandstone of the crumbling facades. He arrived just after lunch, driving an old red Alvis and towing a second-hand caravan that had once been blue. He's arrived at Thursgood's... Thursgood School. School, prep school. Still run by Mr Thursgood, taking it, it over from his father. Yes. So that's where the book opens, isn't it? Yep. yep. Now, we're not going out there to the Quantocks, sadly. No. Not under current lockdown restrictions. Not under current lockdown restrictions. But I, was, I did a bit of research about prep schools in the region. OK. Well, prep schools are your speciality. Particularly ones in 1973, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have yeah, yeah. to tell you. I know. You probably played them <laughs> it was at cricket. All frighteningly familiar. <laughs> but, of course, he, obviously he's using the, the reference to the private school system yes. as another institution that's been sort of... That's, Corrupting and corruptible, and it turns out broken men and spy is training for yeah. dishonesty and yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, lack of integrity and lying yeah, yeah. And, and terrible and, attitude towards women. Yes, that too. Yeah. yeah, so it's not surprising that he starts there. Anyway, Thursgoods, where is it? It's in the Quantox. We the know Quantox, that. Quantox, yes. I don't really know where the Quantox are though. Ah, well, the Quantox near are just, Bath. Uh, well, they're basically near Taunton, really. Okay. Uh, and oh, Taunton there's a is of mentioned. Taunton races. There's mention of Taunton races. And the Castle Hotel in Taunton is where, a place where he, they stay. Yeah. And when Smiley goes to visit Jim Prido, yeah. they go for a walk. They do. Up the Quantox and sit on a bench, and mm. they have a view of the Glastonbury Tour do as they? they talk. They have a view down the valley. They don't mention the Glastonbury they Tour. They do. Do they? Yes, they do. I have found a bench with a view from the Von- Quantock Hills. Oh, wow. A bench near West Bagborough, okay. Somerset, uh, with how a view you that fi- you can see the Glastonbury Tour. How did you find from? a bench? What? Well, you, uh, just, you just searched for bench. <laughs> what do you mean you found Have the you bench? you not used the internet before? <laughs> not to look for a bench. What, one bench? Yeah. <laughs> is there some bench search engine? Yeah, I'm not going to tell you about it. <laughs> what, is it, is it limited to bench aficionados? Yeah, it's sort of, you know, it's a new form of AI, isn't it? Bench searching. <laughs> You know, you can forget about words. You <laughs> The semantic web is just so naughties. It's so naughties, OK. Is this the Internet of Things? Yeah. Internet of Benches. Anyway, back to the point. West yeah. Bagborough, right? Yeah. 
So we're now thinking West Bagborough. And that's a good location Quantox-wise? Absolutely. Okay. Very good, yeah. So we're in that area, and I zoom around, and I start looking for sort of prep schools. Well, there are prep schools around there. Yeah. But um, I brought you out here. I should say where we are now. Tell us where we are. Well, we're in the middle of Hyde Park. We are in the middle of Hyde Park. We had a nice sit-down by a tree and an yeah. Eccles cake. Oh, the Eccles cake was oh, Pump Street, Pump Street, chocolate shop, Eccles cake. We have a view of Marble Arch. Yes. And I wanted to take you to uh, Connaught Place. Right. Because, of course, there is a prep school at Connaught Place. Oh, yeah, yeah. Connaught House Prep School. Yes. Very reputable. Yes. And um, the reason Connaught House School is an interesting reference point yeah. is there used to be a Connaught House School by the Quantocks. Oh, OK. Bishop's Lydiard, before it became a school in the 50s. Yeah. I think it was called Watts House. It was a very posh family home of some friends of Winston Churchill. Oh. He spent quite a lot of time there yeah. with the family that owned the house. He liked to go there quite a lot. I found this on Seatrobe uh, Research. This is a, a website about the number of times Winston Churchill made speeches in the bath area. This is how specialists Not in got. the bath. <laughs> in the bath. He often did things in the bath, didn't he? Didn't he have meetings mm, in the bath? Possibly. When Chancellor Vizchecker and Stanley Baldwin's Conservative government in July 1928, Churchill mm. made a speech at a local Tory summer fete at Watts House, Bishop's Lydiard. Right. Imaginatively entitled, Kaleidoscope Contortions of Lloyd George Cleeks. Wow. <laughs> but he liked hanging out at Watts House, Bishop's Lydiard, and he liked it so much that when it became a school, when it became Connor House School in the 50s, he returned... To the prize giving day to oh, hand really? out prizes. Oh, really? There, Winston Churchill. Did. But doesn't that suggest it was quite. Uh, I mean, in the book, Thursgoods is, is very down at heel, isn't it? Well, uh, I think by the, seven, by the 70s uh, by it the probably 70s. was. Yeah, yeah. Yes. No, fair point. I think it was uh, because it went out of business in the early 80s and became Cedar Falls, a health farmer's bar and golf course. <laughs> Excellent. We got a golf course in. Sadly, Cedar Falls has gone bust during lockdown. Oh, OK. So it's not, we can't go and see it. OK. Otherwise right. you could have a round of golf. A round of golf around Thursday. A massage. A massage. We could have found the dip. Exactly. Wow. Um, OK. But it's in that, absolutely that location with the Quantox in the background. No, I like it. I like it. And also quite near, it talks about Jim Priddow quite often going for a jog down Coombe Lane. Yeah. Coombe Lane is there. If we were, did ever go down to the Quantox, we could not only go down Coombe Lane, yeah. have a little look round there if it's not yeah, completely yeah. shut down, and then walk up to the bench oh, and where Smiley and Prido have a conversation. There's a lot of references to the weather in those school sections being awful. Well, you're living by a hill, obviously. Yeah, but so I looked up the weather yeah, so, in the Quantox in 1973, and it was just completely normal that year. It wasn't a particularly bad year. For yeah, but at I all. think if you're the Quantox. Obviously, if you've got a weather front coming in off the sea and it hits a hill, what's going to happen? <laughs> it's going to rain. <laughs> the point is, everyone says it's a particularly bad year. I do understand how hills and weather work. Do you? Yeah. <laughs> Despite not having been to prep school. That's one um, of the first lessons, I'm weather. Sure it, I'm sure it was. <laughs> Um, how to talk about the weather. Yeah. Oh, I'm usually how, dry for this time of season. Learning how, how to lie, betray your country and, and have talk an about the with your best friend's wife. Then you do the weather. I'm usually mild for May. Yeah. 
So the dating's quite straightforward, as, we, as we've said. Yes. Because he gives us two specific dates in the book. And days. And, well, no, that's, that's what I mean by specific. Go on, then. Um, which, so ones have you, he, which, he, which ones are you shooting for? Well, there's two. There's one, um, one when they're talking about uh, Ricky Tarr, Ricky Tarr trying to send a telegram to London. Yes. And the date is given as Saturday, March the 31st. Yes. And there's only one Saturday, March 31st, in the 1970s, and it's 1973. Perfect. Yeah, under the sign of Aries, President was Richard Nixon, UK Prime Minister was Edward Heath. Uh, I've got other things. Killing Me Softly With His Song was, uh, was number one in, in America with Roberta Flack. High Plains Drifter was out. Uh, so he mm. gives us that day, and then he gives another day when they're talking about um, the uh, Jim's, ex- Jim's events in, in Checo. Yes. He gives us the date of Thursday, October the 19th. Ah, and is that, does that tally? 72. Oh, because it was the year before. the year before. Gotcha. So that all works out. That all works rather nicely. Right. So he's very, he is very, very specific. And Smiley, it's Smiley both times who says, do you mean March 21st? You know, he's very like, yeah. And it's like a stamp on the book, isn't it? That is the date of this book. So we're quite pleased about that. We've had so many writers who are just making it up. Yeah. I'm looking at you, Dayton. Yeah, yeah, Dayton. <laughs> looking at you, Dayton. <laughs> there is also one cultural reference that's quite interesting to me. Is yeah. that he, when he's going around, when Peter Gillum's doing his illicit sort of raid on the circus to yeah. steal the papers, yeah. one of the secretaries is whistling a tune from Hair, the musical. She is whistling. I know. Well, Hair came out in 1968. I did follow that one up. Yeah, but, oh, but did you? No, no, no. But in 1973, do you know what happened? No. Well, in, 19, in, the, in the summer of 73, yeah. it ran and in Shaftesbury Avenue as a musical. Palace? It ran as a, a musical from 68 to 73, but it was shut down because of the ceiling collapsed in 73. Oh, I didn't know. That's good. Yeah. Do you know which theatre it was? No, I, I think it was called the Shaftesbury. And that, is that the one that's the Odeon now on Shaftesbury I, Avenue? That I didn't research, but I just saw that. But it's also interesting that it's about the decrepitude of the place that it's falling down. Well, we'll come on to redevelopment when yeah. we get to the circus. So the ceiling fell down. Got, so I've you would be I've whistling got, about hair you musical would be because about, yeah. it would have been in the news. Well, I found a photograph of Godspell on at, uh, at the Palace oh, Theatre. <laughs> I went to see that. Did you? With David Essex and Jeremy Irons when I was did, about did six they enjoy or seven. It? And I've got the album still. I've got you the went LP. You with David Essex and Jeremy Irons? Yeah. Yeah. You mean they were in it? You didn't go with you to the play? <laughs> wasn't, uh, wasn't Jeremy Irons a bit young to be in Godspell? And no, because he'd done 70s. play school. He'd just come away from Play, play, day, play Away or whatever, wasn't he? he was Jeremy Irons was in Play Away? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're making that up. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Jeremy Irons was in Play Away? <laughs> Are you serious? Yes. Yes, P L A Y, P L A Y, away, 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 away. Jeremy Irons was on screen with Brian Kent. Yes. And then. You're making that up. Well, we'll see, won't we? You'll go, when you get home, you're going to check it. Out. <laughs> The circus is jargon for the Secret Intelligence Service. It gets its name from Cambridge Circus, where it operates out of. When I started trying to make a parallel universe, I thought Cambridge Circus was an amusing spot. 
In my day in the secret world, SIS inhabited whole suites of, of dusky little rooms and control, i.e. the chief of the secret service, lived halfway up a little crooked staircase. Generally speaking, the ethic is the higher you go, the more secret you get. So Graham's gone into the circus and he says, he all but knocked over Bill Hayden in his enthusiasm. He was emerging from his room, an hexagonal pepper pot overlooking New Compton Street and the Charing Cross Road. Okay, so we're standing in what is I think now called Griffin Place. Yeah, okay. Yeah, but this isn't Griffin Place. This is New Compton Street. Oh, we know that, don't we? So if you look on a map from the 1960s, which yeah. I have here for you, obviously, because you know I like you know how I like is good. You know how I like a map. Oh, lovely! So here we are. Here we go. Oh, so this, we're here. Yes, and it just connects straight so through. So this building here was built, opened in 1982. This this office block building, and they basically built it over the top of that part of New Compton Street. And I used to work in there when I was at work at Yahoo. That's actually 125 Shaftesbury Avenue, where Facebook is based. Okay, that's the back of it. Right. So we are standing at 9492 Charing Cross Road, and what was f f number three, New Compton Street. There used to be a nightclub just there. Okay. The Metro Continent Continental Dancing. So that's Charing Cross Road there. I've got so, you. And this is the circus. So the circus is actually called, the name of this building is Trentishoe Mansions. Now, the book is set in 1973. This is Trentishoe Mansions, which is now flats. Now just lots and lots of flats, but it didn't used to be privately owned. It used to be owned by the GLC. Yeah. And in 1973, the GLC has spent the last five years trying to knock down Covent Garden. Yes. So the North Covent Garden redevelopment scheme, late 60s. Lots of protests about GLC, that, GLC, Camden, and they set up the Covent Garden Action Committee. Yes. And one of the things the Covent Garden Action Committee did, with a lot of other people around here at that time, was squat. In 1973, the circus was a squat. How brilliant. How brilliant. <laughs> there were people in there. Squatters became increasingly daring in their choice of targets. In January 1974, mm -hmm. a group of activists pulled off a spectacular publicity coup occupying Centrepoint, the best-known empty building in London. So that was built in the late 60s, and it was empty. Wow. So they couldn't let anyone to go into it. What a great place to squat. Yeah, so basically the, the GLC were decanting. It was, it was social housing. And they were decanting people out and smashing the place up as they went. So they yeah. smashed all the plumbing. I couldn't find any newspaper coverage, right? It's like there was a conspiracy of silence around squatting in London in the 70s. It's hardly anything. That's weird, isn't it? it? So I found this in an American newspaper from 1980. If you think squatters are transient social deviants who slip into any house that looks empty and slip out the back door when the police come knocking, think twice. Squatters are not committing a crime in Britain unless they are squatting in someone else's home or intended home or an embassy. To evict them, landlords normally need a possession order from court. Trentishoe Mansions, a rust-coloured building near Cambridge Circle on the edge of Soho, has been a home for squatters for over five years. Wow. The 60 occupants now are considered licensed squatters by the local council. Excellent. The dark foyer on the ground floor of the tenement is crowded with bicycles, right? So this is a tenement block full of squatters in 1973. So that's, that's one thing that's quite interesting. But now, it's not. It's privately owned now, obviously. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And... I have got the deeds. What? What? I've got the deeds what? of the circus. What? Let me find it. 
You've got carried away, haven't you, Bart? After all your slow horses I thing about what you, what you can quite, find out about deep. buildings and people, Here we you've go. got carried away. Title number NGL 808327, 24 Cambridge Circus, 115 to 119 Shaftesbury Avenue, 84 to 94 Charing Cross Road. So that's all this block All here, of that, yeah. Owned by Cambridge Circle Limited, incorporated in the Isle of Man. Ooh. PO Box 145, Level 6, 10A, Prospect Hill, Douglas. And they pay 21 million for it. And I think on here there's a... I'll put this on the website. There's there a plan. Of the whole thing? That's the whole thing. So that's the circus plan. Nice. So the only thing that I haven't got, and I'm a bit worried about this, is there's another bit I wanted to just show you, which is towards the end of the book, in Cambridge Circus, the lighting was quite yellow, and from where Mendel stood on the third floor of the clothes shop, the wet tarmac glistened like cheap gold. Right? It was nearly midnight. He stood between a net curtain and the clothes horse. Right? So yeah. to see into there... He's standing on the third floor of Victor Blake's. Victor Blake's? 1973. That's Next to Lotso Fun. Which is now Harmony Adult Store. So he was on he's the which standing, floor? He's on the third floor up there. One, two, three. So he's in that window yeah, there. he's in that window there, looking down here. Looking down here. Yeah. Looking at this building across yeah, yeah. here. Good, huh? There he is. Do you know what? That's classic. Is that I bet there were coppers in there spying on all the squatters. Yeah, exactly. Almost certainly. yeah. yeah. But Le Carre doesn't mention squatters or anything like that. You well, know, of course he doesn't. He's like, he's, you know, he obviously didn't go in. Or well, it's a, like a funny joke, though, isn't it? Choose a place like that that's, that's disputed. Do you, want to, do you want to see inside? Yeah. No, you've got all of this, have you? We should say that we do have a website called CuriouslySpecific.com yeah, in which we can share images. So I'll that while you're listening website. to this as a podcast um, um, and you hear us sort of describing things you can actually see some photographs and some links and some videos from our site just to try and be helpful you've got loads pink pink interiors mm. there's, a, there's a really good one there's a really good pic- look oh wow don't you could just see people running through there and okay because it was built in the it was built in the late 19th century it's quite swanky apartments yes couldn't it? Very good. Very <laughs> so, good. So you've got us inside the circus. Inside the circus. You've got it entirely located. You know exactly where it is. You've got a little pepper pot hexagonal office on the top. The only thing I haven't got... You've got, got the observation window of Mendel across there. What is it? That, what, what haven't you got? The only thing I haven't got is he talks about Bill Hayden going up two or three steps. I think there are about five male characters in this who, who cry. You don't expect to see spy movies where they, you know, people cry all over the place. This is about very, very repressed men who do a very, very dangerous job and they have to keep a lid on it all the time. And you see moments where they break. In fact, I think one of the few characters who, who never cries is one of the saddest people in it, is, is Smiley. Who's... You'll have to tell me where we are because I don't really know where we are. So we are on the Regent's Canal, yeah, uh, Camden. Yeah. So we're between... Uh, Regent's Park, the loop of the that goes from Camden Lock yeah. down to Regent's Park. Right. Chapter 36, Lock Gardens, which presumably drew its name from the Camden and Hampstead Road locks nearby, was a terrace of four flat-fronted 19th-century houses built at the centre of a crescent, each with three floors and a basement, and a strip of walled back garden running down to the Regent's Canal. So and we need so a crescent. We are absolutely here. It says here that, that uh, it's a safe house. It could not have been improved. So what we're looking for is the safe house where the Russian and 
the mole uh, meet in London. Where Polyakov and uh, and Bill Hayden, the mole, have been spoiler. Yeah, have been meeting. And Smiley has now worked out where that is, and is now waiting there to ambush Bill Hayden. It says, as a safe house, it could not have been improved, for there were three approaches in yeah. 30 yards, yeah. and the canal towpath offered two more. Yeah. To the north lay Camden High Street for joining traffic. South and west lay the parks and Primrose Hill. So where we cycled, we, we cycled yeah. pretty much there, didn't yeah. we? Better still, the neighbourhood possessed no social identity and demanded none. Okay? So... No, We've got to work out which side of the well, canal. The core that road's called over there. That's called St Mark's Crescent. Mark's Crescent. Yeah, I'm just wondering whether the, the access to the building was from the, you know, from the towpath is what he's saying there. No, because because Gwilym has to run up along the towpath and up over the bridge to get back to well, the Well, let's house. look at that piece then. On the canal towpath, meanwhile, Gwilym had resumed his vigil of the house. The footpath is closed to the public one hour before dark. Now listen to this. Occasionally, an empty train raced past, yeah. leaving a still greater emptiness behind. Yeah. So that's the train line that's directly train behind line. us with the pirate castle. Down into Euston, yeah? Yeah. So, the, so he's definitely, we're definitely on that. His nerves are taut. This is all good, isn't it? Yeah. Gwillem raced down the canal towpath, the torch jolt wadding his hand. He reached a low arched bridge and a steel stairway which led upwards and zigzags to Gloucester Avenue. So we're standing there. Yes. The gate was closed, that's the gate there. Yes. And he had to climb it, ripping one sleeve. The con was standing at the corner of Princess Road. Oh, there's the train. There you go. The con was standing at the corner of Princess Road. So he would only have had to run up the towpath if you couldn't get into the garden from the directly, which suggests to me it's over the other side. Well, that's, yeah, I suppose you're right. I hadn't thought of that. I thought he would be trying to stop anyone from running away down the towpath, which is why he was there. Can't find Princess Road, though. Oh, that Princess Road is here, right by the engineer, the lovely engineer. I so used to play there. pool in there. So Lacombe's the there. He, so, yes, okay. The con's there, but he's keeping out of the way, Le right? Con was standing at the corner of Princess Road, which is right by the engineer pub there, wearing an old country coat. He's there, he's arrived, he's got Gerald. I won't have bloodshed, Lacon warned. Gwynham didn't bother to reply. 30 yards down the road, Mendel was waiting in a. Oh, I've got I've lost it now. Reaching number five, Mendel and Gwynham stepped no, over the gate. They drive road. for two minutes. It says they drive in the cab for two minutes, which must be. So it means it's so we, must be down So there. we're talking about St Mark's Crescent then, aren't we? We're talking about St Mark's Crescent. Should we go and have a look? Yeah, I think we should, yeah. But that uh, metal stairway is exactly right. Yeah. So he came out of that gate. He did. And he, and he went over and to the Lecon engineers. Was standing he should have gone out and gave him a pool in the engineers. It's very nice. Standard, so so Lacombe's standing by the engineer. doesn't mention the pub, does he? No, but... And Mendel's further down the road with the cab. But he would have clocked him as soon as he came up that stair, right? Yeah. They would have clocked him. And yeah, as you yeah. say, then they would have then driven, driven around to the crescent on this side. Yeah. Okay. Do you like it? I do like it. I might have to take a photo of a picture. This is a curiously specific novel. Yes, it is. (laughs) This is rapidly becoming our favourite, isn't it? Yeah. Well, in terms of podcasting, without a doubt. In terms of dates and locations, the man is (laughs) doing it all right. He's doing it the proper way. 
We can only uh, we can only doff a cap to Mr. Le Carre. I feel that other writers could learn from this. <laughs> the curiously specific book club. Our control always preached that good intelligence work is gradual and rests on a kind of gentleness. So we've made it south. You've made it back south of the river. What a tour. I'm not sure John Le Carre ever made it south of the river. There's a, there's a number of references in the book to, to Brixton. Brixton? Which is Peter Gwillem and the Scalp Hunters. Yes. Are based in Brixton. He abandoned himself to that memory in place of others more disturbing. Brixton and the Grim Flint Schoolhouse that served the Scalp Hunters as their headquarters. Right. Right, so I've been looking for a... Come on I, then, what have you found out? Well... I did a lot. Of, I did a lot of looking at old Brixton schools and trying to find something that looked, that looked the part. Yeah. But I also emailed. I so I emailed a couple of places. I emailed. Um, oh, you used your own network. The Brixton. Well, no, not really. I just went online. Uh, the Brixton Society, and I emailed the Lambeth Archive. The Sleepers. And they both replied. Like did, the next day. Did they now? So I got a, a very nice email from Alan Piper. Hello, Alan. Brixton Society. Who says? So I asked about a Flint schoolhouse. I thought that must be quite, you know, easy to find. It sounds like it was a former schoolhouse by the time the novel was set. Good one, Alan. You can you can join our podcast. So we would be talking about a building over a hundred years old. Everything built by the London School Board and its successors, the London County Council, would have been brick yeah. with some stone trimmings. Yeah. Flint or stone walls are more suggestive of a church school. Very good, right? I cannot think of an example, though. Uh, <laughs> and then he says, he said, of course, this may be the classic author's technique of bringing together two different elements or characters which were very familiar to the author but never coincided in real life. So I quite, I quite like the cut of Alan's I think, jib. I think we're being told, aren't yeah, we? We've, um, we've, well, wait, wait, we've John, been told to suck eggs here. John Newman of the Lambeth Archives yeah. was a little bit stronger in his language, I would yeah. say. OK. Thanks for your challenging request for information. It's always interesting to get something slightly oddball like this. Yeah, OK. First point, I cannot remember when TTSS is set. TTSS, very good. Mm. But clearly within the 20th century. We have to be talking about a private school here rather than a London board school, which were all fairly universally built in red brick with terracotta and stone dressings. So they agree. So they agree. Second point, Brixton is a 19th century suburb. There are no earlier buildings. Didn't know that, which is interesting. Yes. Third point, there are almost no Flint buildings in this part of South London. Flint is almost always only used locally in chalk country, so either Le Carre had a specific, unusual flint-fronted building in mind, or he got his geology wrong in assuming that such a building could have been found in Brixton. It's good, uh, isn't it? Yeah, okay. Fourth point, is flint here merely being used metaphorically uh, to imply something of the hard or harsh quality of the educational experience behind the brick wall? Like, like you're thinking... And this is the clincher. This is, this is where he gets... I wonder if, at the end of your research, you will be forced to remind yourself that what Le Carre was engaged in was fiction. And in this instance, a fiction not very precisely aligned to a sense of place. It's very good, isn't it? Okay, that's, that's not so, such a catchy title for a podcast, though. <laughs> so I, I, would, say? I would like to thank Alan Piper and John Newman. Thank you very so much. So basically, I think what they're saying is there's no such building in Brixton. No, you can sort of imagine it, can't you? 
You can imagine it. And I, I think that the idea that actually he's experienced a Flint schoolhouse at some point, in maybe his prep school. He went uh, to prep school outside Guildford or somewhere around there. Which is chalk country. Ah, well, there you are. I quite like the fact that he's really specific about some things, really specific, and then a lot less specific about other things. And uh, Yes, the London stuff he seems to like be really bothered about. Yeah. It's almost like he wanted people to go and stand and do a podcast. Quite far sighted of him from 1973. Yeah, I think he was hoping it would happen after he died. He didn't <laughs> have to listen to it. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, job done. Well done. Well done, John. Good timing. Good timing. You were young and your heart was an open book. Oh, you used to say, never let me. But if this ever.